2020. So we had him for like 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, his hair, I still found his hair like a year later, which may, it may be a little, it may be a little sad, but I think it's I think it tells you how much he sheds, how much these dogs stay with you. Yeah, beagles. My my girlfriend had a beagle before she eventually passed away, and the the hair is like it's everywhere, ridiculous. But now I, we, I, I literally was I was finding hairs. Um, probably a year later, you know, in anything. I mean, I could probably go back now and find a hair somewhere. I just wouldn't be able to tell whose hair is who. But yeah, now like she has another, she has another dog, and it's like a mutt. Like yeah. we did like for Christmas. I think it's so funny. She for Christmas got her dog that has no idea what Christmas is, has no idea, like doesn't care about what she is. Got her like a hundred and twenty dollar like DNA test, like a, like a twenty three of me for dogs, and I'm just like. She's like, oh my God, Tinsley, that's her name. Like, you're 20% German Shepherd, you're 30% this. And she's just like, you know, sitting there looking at her, like, <laughs> I don't know what life. you're talking about. No like, way. I'm not going to change my life. I just thought it was really funny. But no, the, yeah, the, now she sheds, like, there's no tomorrow, too, because yeah. she has the part German Shepherd in her. So I'm just like, I'm, I'm forever finding hairs. Like, I'll take one step in her house with a pair of socks on, like a pair of black socks, and they'll just be covered in white hair for one step. Yeah, well, like the last, you know, as long as we had him, we I wasn't able to sit on the couch if we were about to go out somewhere, because I'd have to I'd have to like wipe myself <laughs> down and get the hair all off me. Uh, and now my parents have uh, another beagle, who's eight months old. And for a wow. while, I was like, oh look, he's not he's not shedding as much. Like that's pretty good. I know they shed in the summer, but it was like, oh, you know, it, it, maybe the other one was an anomaly. No, the the shedding's beginning. It's it's oh, going to be the same thing. It's this already. is supposed to be a, a beagle type of trait that they just oh shed. definitely definitely. All right. So remember how I talked before we started recording about that question that I wanted to ask you. Oh yeah. So and I didn't ask you because I wanted an, or, an original reaction. <laughs> I don't know if it's if it's inappropriate or not. I don't really care to be honest with you. But I saw this. And I thought immediately I had to ask you. I don't know why I thought immediately of you, but here it is. You ready? Let's do it. When you take a shower, right, do you wipe your balls with the same towel that you wipe your face? My, my question is, why did you think of me first? That's, that's, my, that's my, my genuine reaction. <laughs> I don't know, but it's well, literally the first thing I was like, oh, Dan, I don't know why I <laughs> thought right away. Yeah, the the answer is I wipe my face first. Okay. I think okay. you have to. Otherwise, you can't see anything. I mean, I, I can't see anything anyway because I, I, I my eyesight's terrible. So no, I got to no, wipe me, my face first. Let, let me ask sure. you a follow-up question, though. Yeah. You ever forget and then you wipe your balls first and then you go, oh, shit, I just wiped my face with the same towel. That, you know, that I, I don't because I'm somebody who's got a routine. <laughs> and so even down to something like that, I have a routine and I have to do my face or my hair or my, let's say my head. I have to do my head first. Okay. Well, there's no, I feel like head? there's, it's so baked <laughs> in that there's no other order I could do it. In. All right. Well, I am ashamed now to say that I've definitely <laughs> forgot and it's on multiple occasions too. You so. know, but, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't shame somebody, but I will say that th this can't happen to me because I've got that order in place. <laughs> it's, All right. It's so set in stone. All right, well, now I'm going to tuck my tail between my legs, and I'm going to say welcome back to episode two of the ASN podcast. I'm your host, Peter. That is Dan, and we are very, very excited to bring you this week's episode. Dan, how you doing this week? 
I'm doing good. I'm very excited coming off of last week's episode. I think we're only going to make strides and get better. Uh, you know, we, we had some great conversation last week, but obviously that there's a lot of things we can improve on. Um, and I've taken some stuff to heart, and I know you have, and I know we're constantly <laughs> looking to improve. Yeah. Uh, so we got a good episode lined up for you this week. I think we're going to have some cool episodes coming up in future weeks. So I'm excited to keep going. Definitely. I mean, uh, you know, full transparency, we are uh, starting to really talk about looking at some guests and stuff. So maybe within the next couple of weeks, we'll have like a really cool guest lined up. You know, Dan has an incredible platform on Instagram, so we could always use that to our advantage, non-shamefully, of course. But, you know, getting back to what Dan was saying, yes, like the first thing that we want to say, we want to address the elephant in the room as we go on as episodes go on we will get better in terms of continuity and chemistry uh we did get a couple of i would say negative comments but of course with any big platform and any new show you are going to get negative comments but instead of just taking it to heart like it offended us we thought all right how could we turn this into something that is going to make us better so you know if you have like a negative comment or you have something to say maybe that we can improve on that you see that we don't we're definitely looking for it you know, but we're not shy towards negative comments or anything like that. So if you think that we can improve on something, we're more than happy to oblige and listen to you. So before we got into all the topics today, we just wanted to say uh, thank you, first off, for the incredible support on episode one, 100 percent. It, it definitely blew my expectations out of the water. And we hope that we can interest you enough to the point where we can continue to have that high volume audience and we can continue to grow. So I think that that was awesome. So thank you for that. And and thank you for giving us something to think about and, and giving us something to improve on. So we just wanted to address that real quick, right out the gate. And, and then we just get into the episode. So Dan, do you have anything else to add to that? Or I, I think it's, I think it's important to note that, you know, the way we're doing this is we're not taking the platform that we have for granted. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to earn, we're trying to earn listeners week by week. I think we're not going into this saying, oh, look at all the followers we have, and we're obviously going to have some listeners. No, we're trying to we're trying to, to get some listeners to keep coming back, have reasons uh, to want to listen to us. Uh, and I think the first week was a good start. But, you know, we, I, I, all, all we ask is that you keep uh, coming back, giving us a chance, telling us what interests you, what doesn't, and then we can make it work from there. We can tweak it in any way, uh, you know, to make sure that we're giving you guys exactly what you want to hear. Absolutely. And I think that that's a... Perfect way to just leave that off on, you know, and um, really the first thing I wanted to talk about, and I, I guess this is already the second would you rather question <laughs> that I asked because, you know, I asked about the shower, obviously. I want to know about Dan's shower habits, clearly, uh, without, I, I asking, without asking him directly. <laughs> so the question I had for you, I saw this on Instagram the other day. I was I was very curious to see the responses and then I was pretty shocked by the responses. So this seems like a pretty straightforward question for someone like me. The question was, would you rather have Andre Iguodala's career or Carmelo Anthony's career? Now, me being the type of guy that always wants to win, right away I'm thinking championships, uh, NBA finals, MVP. It, it, it's a pretty standard answer for me. I would say Iguodala, but you did bring up some good points as to why you could see a lot of people saying mellow. And that's exactly what I saw on Instagram. It was like, I was, I think at the time that I commented on it, there was only maybe eight or nine comments. And I was the only one that said Iggy, like no other option for me. And everyone else was like, 
easy, easy answer. It's mellow. And I thought it was really puzzling. So I wanted to bring it up to you and bring it up to the listeners and kind of gauge what everyone else would be thinking about. So Dan, what are you thinking about that? I really think it depends what you prioritize if you're a player. And I think, listen, if you prioritize winning, there's probably no debate to even be had. Um, but in this day and age, I like, look what we talked about last week about how guys like Bradley Beal, uh, Lillard, Jokic, all that are staying with their teams. Uh, obviously, the Supermax, the presence of the Supermax contract is part of the reason why. Uh, but winning a championship at all costs isn't really the name of the game right now, especially not in the NBA. Um, and I think Carmelo Anthony, we talked a little bit about this. He's extremely well-liked. I mean, I, I think he's more well-liked than, than most superstars, uh, if not all superstars of the past decade. Uh, beloved by Knicks fans, even though they never got past the second round. Uh, you know, obviously the only fan base that might not feel great toward him are Nuggets mm-hmm. fans because of the way he left things. Uh, but he just seems so well-liked among NBA fans. And obviously he's had the better career than Iguodala. You know, I don't think in terms of like who is the better player, you know, there's there's nobody who would there's take no debate. Iggy over Melo. Uh, Melo's got something like twenty seven to 28,000 points. There are only a couple dozen people that have even hit 25,000. Uh, you know, he's been a – he was an elite scorer for over a decade. He's still going – I mean, I don't know if he's going to end up playing next year, but he's been in the league for 19 years. Uh, Iguodala is near there, something like 18 years. Uh, but Melo has just had uh, a uh, no-doubt Hall of Fame career, and he's well-liked by so many fans. He's also well-liked by one of the biggest fan bases in the NBA, the, right. the Knicks fan base. I think there's something to be said for that. Um, obviously, if, if, if it's winning at all costs, I think you have to take Iggy. Uh, but I, I feel like there's a real case to be made for Melo just because winning isn't doesn't seem to be everything for a lot of guys. And obviously, Iguodala wasn't the number one no. on a team that won four championships. He wasn't the number two. He wasn't the number three. You know, if you're going to say Iguodala, I think the biggest reason would probably have to be his finals MVP. Because if he doesn't have the finals MVP, you're stuck saying, well, he was a complimentary piece on four championship teams, and that doesn't mean as much. And while that's still true, he can go back and say, look, I've got this trophy that says I was the most valuable player on yeah. a team that won a championship. Um, a team without you know, established stars like Curry and Clay Thompson, because at that time they weren't established championship players. Yeah, They were, they were kind of in their infancy in that stage. So he can kind of hang his hat on that trophy and say, I helped guide this team of future superstars or budding superstars to a title. So let me ask you, I have to, I have a couple follow-up questions on this one. Cause now I think that we kind of opened up a little bit of can of worms. I didn't want to spend as much time on it, but I feel like these are necessary follow-up questions. So the first one I'm looking at, I'm looking at Iguodala's career statistics. Now, obviously they don't jump off the page at you because for the better part of his career, he's been basically nothing but a role player. The most points he's ever averaged in a season was in 2007. Philadelphia averaged 19.9 points per game. So we're looking at his career stats. You're looking at 11.4 points per game, five rebounds a game, 4.2 assists per game. So obviously that's not blowing you away. But we've got three, what, three NBA titles. And we have, is it three or four? It's three, right? I think it's four, right? He was there okay. 15, 15, 17, 18, and then this year. Yeah. So, okay. So now we got four NBA titles and we got one finals MVP. So we're looking at Melo, who you said 25, let's just say 25,000 plus points, multiple yeah, he's, time. He's actually ninth all time in scoring. I, I didn't realize he was that high. 28,289. So ninth all time in scoring. No 
really no, never even made it to a finals at this point in his career. Um, you know, no MVP. He was never an MVP. Like he's he's been a multiple time All Star, all that kind of stuff. But he is a Hall of Famer. I think we're both. Yes, Carmelo Anthony is a Hall of Famer. You have to be top ten in scoring. I think you have to be in the Hall of Fame. But if you're looking at Iguodala, see, he's been in the NBA since 2004. He's still basically going strong. If you want to say that he won a title, is going strong. I mean, you know, for I mean, he only played 31 games, but he had four points per game, three rebounds, three assists. So really. Didn't really contribute as much as years previously. But longevity, four titles, one finals MVP. Are we looking at a Hall of Fame career for Andre Iguodala? Well, ideally, no. But the Hall of Fame is so watered down uh, in basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, think about it. If I'm not saying their careers are identical. Uh, but if Manu Ginobili is in on the first try, you would have to think Iguodala has a shot. Yeah. Uh, but... It, it's really hard for me to sit here and say a one-time All-Star who's averaging 11 points a game for his career should be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Like, I, I can't get on board with that. But realistically, uh, probably. I mean, I, like I said, you know, not to hate on – not to like – I feel like I'm dragging Manu Ginobili into this unfairly. But if he's in on the first shot, Iguodala's got a case, right? Yeah. I mean, the way that I'm thinking about it is – like you even – you said it best. The NBA – Hall of Fame is probably the most watered down Hall of Fame that there is out of any major sport, I would think. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, but I mean, how much do they value championships and finals MVPs? I feel like we weren't getting now. This is obviously like this. What I'm going to say is a lot of people think that Steph Curry is now a top 10 player of all time because he just got that finals MVP. Now, if you were asking me, me, I'll be, I'll be transparent and say that I am not the biggest basketball fan. I do like basketball, but it is, it's probably like my fourth or fifth favorite sport out of all of them. But I would think that Steph Curry would have a legitimate argument for being a top 10 player without that finals MVP. Even if he won the title this year without getting the finals MVP. I mean, look at what he's done for the game of basketball. You're talking about, a generational player who's ch- literally changed the game of basketball. And a lot of people were like, well, if he doesn't get his finals MVP, he's not going to be a top 10 player of all time. He's not even going to have a, a case. So if we're putting that much on a finals MVP, I think you kind of have to put Andre Iguodala into the Hall of Fame then, right? You Well, you know, I, but I think there's a segment of people out there who believe he shouldn't have won that. I think, I, I, especially this year, because it actually came up during the same conversation. People on social media talking about Curry's legacy without a Finals MVP, and instead of talking about, uh, you know, is he in? Is he not? Uh, you know, is he a top ten player? Is he not? Um, there was a lot of talk about. Well, maybe he should have won in 2015, mm-hmm. uh, and and people went back and looked at the numbers. And to be honest, they were they were pretty close to his other years. I know he didn't win Finals MVP. Uh, in 17 or 18 but that was really more because the Kevin Durant was just unbelievable yeah uh, Curry put up pretty great numbers uh, not not his signature efficiency but he put up pretty great numbers in the 2015 finals I think a lot of people believe that he probably should have won that one mm-hmm. um, but you know so so there might be a segment of people who believe listen Andre Godala has a finals MVP but it's nothing like LeBron winning finals MVP in 2016 Right. Or it's nothing like Curry's Finals MVP this year. Uh, I think I'm probably in that in that segment of people. Um, you know, Iguodala 
what happened in that finals is Iguodala took on a bigger role halfway through the series, and all of a sudden they started winning again. Yeah, uh, it was probably inevitable that they would start winning again, though, based on the team Cleveland was putting out there that year without Kyrie Irving, uh, without Kevin Love. You know, he was supposed to be the LeBron stopper, and LeBron didn't do exactly what he did at the beginning of the series, but he still put up kind of legendary numbers. Uh, I, I think the narrative on Iguodala's Finals MVP has shifted over the years. That may be part of the reason why we don't take it as seriously as a LeBron or a Kawhi Finals MVP. All right. I think that it's certainly – I mean, the reason why I brought it up is for conversations like this. Now we're getting into a different type of conversation. But I think this is a good place to stop that segment and really talk about you know, what – more news this week, but I think it, it's certainly an interesting conversation that we could have not only between ourselves more in depth, but also with our fans and people who are listening. So, you yeah, know, if, a, if you guys are listening right now, please let us know. I'll put the question uh, down below on Spotify. Whose career would you rather have? And do you think that Andre Iguodala is justified as an NBA Hall of Famer? Because I feel like there's a lot of people that think my way and there's definitely a lot of people that think your way, too. Yeah, I think we came out of this unsolved. So I'm looking forward to seeing what people have to say. Yeah. So we're going to get into the, I think, the biggest news of the The week. elephant in the room, 100%. Yeah. And it's, and, well, and it's going to be the elephant in the room in Los Angeles uh, the yes. next two days. Yes. Because I don't think Juan Soto is going to be able to escape questions about his future. Uh, and he's already been asked questions by Nationals Media. And he basically said, like, I didn't want this to come out. Uh, but he also told him that he wants to win. So, you know, if you haven't heard, uh, Ken Rosenthal reported Saturday morning that Juan Soto declined a 15-year, $440 million extension offer from the Washington Nationals. That would be the largest extension ever, not by average value, which we're, we're going to talk about, but it's, yeah. it would be the largest extension ever by uh, years uh, and by total value at $440 million. This is in baseball. Um, now, so, yeah, go for it. My, now, my initial reaction, and I want to get yours at first, because obviously, like you said, we can get into the AAV, which is not as spectacular as you would think. Um, but when you saw that, what was your initial reaction? Because all I saw was years and money. And I was like, the only reason why he would not take this deal is because he just doesn't want to be there anymore. And honestly, I can't really blame him because it seems like the Nationals are going nowhere fast. And I don't want to be a superstar stuck on a team that's going to be in fourth or fifth place for the next maybe five or ten years, honestly. Yeah. So what well, what was your initial reaction to that? I think it's I think that's confirmed. I mean, I think he confirmed it. Uh, he said in the offseason that he wants to win, and like you know, everybody wants to win. Okay, that's a normal answer. But they asked him again yesterday, um, and he he said that he that he wants to be in the situation where they're going to win games. And the Nationals mm -hmm. are, I believe, I don't know if they won or lost yesterday, but before, coming There's, into that day. They were 31 one and, and 61 today, I think. Okay, so they were they were one and 13 coming into yesterday in in the month of July. Uh, they're they have the worst record in baseball, I believe. I believe they're still behind Oakland, or they fell behind Oakland, and they're still there. Um, you know, they, they they're in a rebuild, and apparently they've told him that this is which we know this is necessary uh, to build a winner again. But for how long? You know, you have the worst record in baseball. Uh, the best player on the team, not named. Juan Soto might be traded this month, Josh Bell. Yeah. Uh, and even if he isn't, he's probably not coming back because he's going to end up uh, a free agent. What, you know, do you have a sense that, that the team is going to start winning soon? If you're Juan Soto, I don't know. 
Um, but I, I think I think it is I think it goes two ways. I think um, you know winning is part of it, and I also think money is part of it because if of you're course. on Soto, would you rather take a 15 year deal for a little over 29 million a year, or would you do would you be willing to do maybe an 11 year deal? I know that doesn't sound very short, but compared to 15, it is. Yeah. Uh, for a similar total value, but a, a higher amount of money per year, I, I think. I think winning's part of it, but I also think if they offered him something like $35 million a year, we're having a different conversation right now. I, I, I think what factors into it in terms of money and, and length is the type of team that you're on. Like, yes, the na- look at the Nationals' payroll. I'm pretty sure they're either middling or in the bottom half of the MLB in payroll. So they're easily able to give him a humongous extension. But when you go to AAV, like you said, this is over, just over $29 million a year. So if I'm Juan Soto and I'm thinking to myself, well, I'm going to hitch my wagon to this team for 15 years that has a middling payroll, I want a hell of a lot more than $29 million a year. And, and, I, want, and I want more, if this is me, I would want more of a backloaded contract. So when I'm getting into my 30s, I want to be making like 40 plus million dollars a year on a backload. Well, that's, that's what it's going to be at that yeah. point, right? Because you know, like we can sit, we can sit here and say twenty nine million would be a bargain for him today. Imagine ten years from now, you know, what if he's still playing this way at, at age thirty three? That's going to be a gigantic bargain. And think he's about what you just said. Him. Think about what you just said. Yeah. In ten years, at age thirty three, right? Which is insane. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, you know, that's the kind of leverage he has, though. Is he's ridiculously yeah. young. You know, it, it's the. It's the cost of calling somebody up at 19 years old. And the Red Sox are dealing with it now with Devers because yeah. they called him up right after he turned 20. All of a sudden, you've got guys trying to negotiate mega contracts at 24 years old. And they can say, look, you know, Devers, like, I don't want to go into different team, but like the Rafael Devers can point to J.D. Martinez on his own team and say, look, he's 10 years older than me and he's hitting really well. Imagine what I could be doing in 10 years. you got to pay me like that. Juan Soto mm-hmm. can say the same thing. Um, but I, I, I do think that I do think that winning is part of it. And I, I was at I was at Nationals Park the other night. Um, I was tell in, everyone I was, tell everyone what great game that you saw. <laughs> no, it actually was. I will say it's a, it was a pretty decent game. I did this one. Who are the two I, I teams that were playing? Pirates, I saw Pirates <laughs> and Nationals last month. Ugh. This time though, I saw the Braves and Nationals. Oh, okay, and it was a five four game in the ninth inning. So I, I'll give them credit. Um, but once, you know, I was behind Juan Soto in right field and man, it just, it, it must be depressing. Like I, you know, I can't say that I saw anything that looked depressing, but it must be depressing to have to stand out there for nine innings on a team that is 30 games under 500, knowing that you're an otherworldly player, you're in the home run derby, you're an all-star, you could be an MVP candidate. He hasn't had his best year, but I feel like he's going to win an MVP at some point. Yeah. And you're on this team that's 30 games under 500. The stadium is half empty. You know, you, you've got you feel like you've got no shot because of your pitching because Patrick Corbin is in, in your rotation. It's got to be a little demoralizing, especially Absolutely. for a guy who's been at the top. Right. He's won a championship. It's not like he's never experienced that. He knows what that feels like. This is a tumble down Mount Everest. Like like you like I agree with you 100 percent because he's been at the top of the mountain before. He's tasted what it feels like. And, you know, imagine. So we'll get into this in a couple minutes, but imagine being on a team that's a perennial championship caliber team every year and being able to taste that every single year. And then also making 35 plus million dollars on top of it. Yeah. Like it in, in my mind, there's no shot 
that past July 31st, we're seeing Juan Soto in a Nationals uniform. And I just think that I think that it definitely has something to do with money. But at the same time, I feel like if you're how old was he in 2019? He would be, what, 21 years old or 20 years old when they won? uh, I believe he turned 21 like during the World Series. 21 years old. Think about this. An improbable run to the World Series. They win the World Series. You're 20, 21 years old, whatever it may be. You're like, it's it's only going to get better from here. And then we're talking about basically last year, too, they weren't any good. So you're talking about two years going from the top to the bottom. That's a significant crash. Like I said, that's tumbling down Mount Everest right there. So you got to think that his heart is just not in it anymore. And like you said, I think it honestly would be different if he's playing in front of 45 plus thousand fans every single day. And, you know, they're still kind of trash. I feel like it would be a little bit different. Yeah. But now, you know, you're playing in front of a half empty stadium. You're 30 games under 500. You're getting lowballed for a contract extension. I wouldn't want to be there either. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm looking at the Nationals payroll. It's 20th this year. Yeah. Um, and, and a big reason why they're not at the very bottom. Well, there are two big reasons. One of them is Steven Strasburg, who doesn't play, mm-hmm. <laughs> getting, getting 30 million a year. And Corbin, uh, probably. And I can't right? even blame them because they, 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 ch- they chose between him and Rendon, and neither one of them would have worked because yeah. Rendon did not work out with the Angels. Um, and the, you know, another big part is Patrick Corbin. Uh, he's got to be the worst starting pitcher he's in, in he's, baseball. He's legitimately terrible. His one great he's start so was, against, was against the Pirates, and that was it. He, he's legit, <laughs> I don't, and I don't even know what happened because he was a – I don't even know if, you're, if, you, if you can regret signing him if you're them because he really was a big part of their championship team. He, yeah. he was a huge part of what got them a ring. Uh, but he's terrible. Like he, he's just. I think his WAR is somewhere like negative two, which is like Dallas Keuchel level. It, it's bad. Uh, but so much of their payroll is tied up in them. And Strasburg is is under contract for a while. Uh, Patrick Corbin is under contract for two more years. So that shouldn't be a huge hindrance. So, if, if you so let me ask you a question. So if you take right now, since you have it up in front of you, so if you take whatever the AAV of both of those guys are, if you take that off of the payroll, what, what is their payroll stacking up to, to other teams? So let me, let me do the math on Corbin's. Okay. I did that quickly. It's a rough estimate. So I think, I think it's you taking away about 53 or 54 million. And that's for both. Just for those two. Yeah. For those two alone. So that would bring us down to about 75 million. If I'm doing that correctly, let me make sure about that. Yeah, about seventy-five million, and that would be twenty-sixth. That would be behind the Marlins, so that'd be twenty-sixth, only ahead of Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Oakland, and Baltimore. Wow, that's that's pretty bad. Yeah, now like, you know. To be fair, bad. we can do the same thing with other teams and like take away one random contract from them. You know, like if yeah, we can do that. But it, but the teams that are below, even the teams that are above, like the Marlins, who are you taking away that makes the most money on the Marlins? It's probably yeah, Abasayel Garcia. It's yeah. probably Garcia making eleven million dollars a year, being the top earner. So you're really not taking that much away. If you think if, if you're taking the two top earners away from the Nationals, who are twentieth, and then it moves them all the way down to twenty sixth, where literally, like the besides with the Orioles, like the six other, the four other worst teams in baseball are behind them. That's really bad. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, know like, they've spent money before. I mean, we we just proved it, right? With Strasburg yeah. and Corbin, but they they've spent money and they've they've been unwilling to go too far. Though they were they were mm-hmm. not willing to give Bryce Harper what he wanted. Uh, they couldn't do both Rendon and Strasburg even after a championship, and they weren't able to give. Um, who was it? There was somebody else. 
Well, well, we'll, we'll circle back to that. But they, they've, but they've been able to spend money. I mean, look, look, they gave yeah. Strasburg that contract. Look at the contract they gave Scherzer. Oh, you yeah. know who I was thinking of? Trey Turner. They were not. They weren't able to. They they found out really early that they weren't going to be able to give Trey Turner what he wanted. But it was all geared toward Juan Soto. Yeah. You know, when they didn't bring back Bryce Harper, Juan Soto was just a rookie. But when they when they let Rendon walk, they knew that they were going to have to give Soto a big contract eventually. When they when they chose to not bring back Trey Turner really early, it was because they knew that they have that they had to give Juan Soto a big contract. I think they've got a they've got a rise to the moment and I, just try I, to meet what he wants. I also think I think it's too far gone at this point. I think even if I'll be honest with you, and this might sound overblown, but if the Nationals offer him a ten year, four hundred and fifty million dollar contract, I still think it's too far gone to the point where he doesn't sign. And I can't blame him because I'm I'm looking a little bit more in depth on this now, and I'm thinking to myself, well, besides for you know, so like, you know, you let Trey Turner walk, you trade Max Scherzer, you know, you let Bryce Harper walk. There were always, a, there was always a guy behind them that was supposed to work out. So like you think to yourself right away, well, Trey Turner is going to go. He's actually a little bit on the older side. Not, not a lot of people realize that Trey Turner is probably entering his age 30 season next year already. So you kind of figure, okay, they have Carter Keboom waiting, right? Carter Keboom really hasn't worked out. Then you think, all right, well, in center field, you know, we have Juan Soto in the outfield, and we have Victor Robles. Victor Robles hasn't really worked out. Yeah. We want to go back even further. Michael A. Taylor hasn't worked out. So you think Josiah Gray has been okay so far. Kyber Ruiz has been whatever. You know, if I'm Juan Soto, I'm looking at these guys coming up, and I'm like, I'm, I'm nothing is keeping me here. The funny thing is that the next guy for them, the guy they're going to build around, probably mm-hmm. comes in a Juan Soto deal. Yeah. Like, let's Absolutely. be honest, they, they don't have that guy on the roster right now. I think Josiah Gray has, has looked better, and I think he's going to be a good starter for them for a long time. He will, uh, but, but he's not I the mean, guy. No, he's, he's not, not the guy. guy. I I, I'm not Juan Soto going, I'm going to hitch my wagon to the Washington Nationals yeah. because of Josiah Gray. But <laughs> it, it does feel like they could have done more So I with this contract offer. And I, I know that sounds crazy, crazy to say for fourteen for forty four hundred for. $440 million over 15 years. But I put together a list of guys who make $30 million or more, which is more than what Juan Soto would be making. This is per year. Dan, Dan, uh, is, coming 14, at, Dan is coming at everyone's neck with this absolutely. one. <laughs> 14 players. Uh, you know, A few of them are short-term deals. Scherzer and Carlos Correa. You know, They're not on 10-year deals or anything yeah. like that. They're short-term deals making – I think Scherzer makes $42 million a year. Jesus uh, Christ. But, yeah. <laughs> but the Mets, Steve Cohen can do it. Yeah. So you've got Garrett Cole, Mike Trout, Carlos Correa, Steven Strasburg. We talked about him. Rendon, Lindor, uh, Trevor Bauer, although he's not making that money right now. Corey Corey Seager, uh, Nolan Arenado, Miguel Cabrera on a deal he signed eight years ago. Uh, David Price, Mookie Betts, and Machado. Okay, so right then and there, he's basically better than 10 of those players. (laughs) Nine or 10 of those players. If not more. Yeah. So that right there. They could go a little higher. Yeah, absolutely. They they don't have to do 15 years, I would think. I mean, right, he doesn't need 15 years. If if I'm Soto, if I'm thinking, now thinking on the flip side, if I'm thinking about signing in Washington, I'm not hitching my wagon to a team that's going to be paying me until I'm, what, 37 or 38 years old if I sign 15 years. Because why would I do that when I could sign – an eight-year contract and get paid again when I'm 31 years old and probably still get another mega contract, especially if he's 
producing at the same level as he has so far in his career. So can you imagine the type of money he would get for eight years? So think about this for a second. Are we, are the, the Washington nationals just phoning it in because this offer now that we're breaking it down seems kind of crazy because we're thinking about it. Juan Soto is not going to sign a 50 regardless of where he goes. I don't think he's going to sign a 15 year deal. He could sign with the Yankees. He could sign with the Dodgers, whatever it may, may be, because why get paid once when you could get paid twice? Yeah. So not only that, the length is crazy. The average annual value is far too low. I'm just thinking as a team, we're just going to make other teams think that we're interested in re-signing Juan Soto to maybe hype up the price at the trade deadline where it's like, well, you know, we could offer him this much more. So if you want him, you have to give us this much more. Yeah, and, and people are going to think we're crazy talking about them. It's how it works, man. It really yeah. is how it works. But, but people are going to think we're crazy for saying 15 years, 440 million is phoning it in. But, you know, but when you look at it, Juan Soto, I mean, he probably should be paid at least top five in baseball. I mean, I understand people are like, oh, he's hitting 247 this year and he's going to turn down. Yeah, but look at the team million. that he has around him. Listen, yeah, and, and his on-base percentage is consistently over 400. Yeah, I mean, even Otani this year. For I know, I know, pitching is why we praise Otani, but for all of his offense, his on base percentage is around three fifty. Soto, four hundred is like his bare minimum. Yeah, for on base percentage, he he's such a ridiculous on base machine, uh, and it feels like if he had a better lineup around him, he'd be hitting more. Yeah, uh, he's he also keeps up after the All Star break. He did it last year, so I would say watch out for him after the All Star break. He may be able to bring that up to like two sixty, two seventy. It's already yeah. starting. Uh, but but he's just so he's so gifted uh, at such a young age. Both you know between getting on base, hitting for power, hitting for contact, he's a ridiculous type of player. It feels like he should be among the highest paid players in baseball. And to be honest, even though 440 breaks the record, 29 million a year doesn't put him there. Yeah, I could offer Dan. I could offer you a 25 year contract for 500 million dollars. The numbers it. sound ludicrous. But then when you when you break it down, it's really not anything special. Yeah. So that was my initial reaction where I'm looking at it. And I'm like, how the hell can Juan Soto turn down a contract like this? And then you break down the factors of it. And you're like, well, this is a garbage contract. <laughs> like not even yeah. in terms of money, just attaching yourself to a team for that long. You know, nothing is coming through the ranks that's super, super impressive. And, you know, with with the two other big, con- big contracts that they're paying Corbin and Strasburg, they're going to pay you. Who are they bringing in in free agency? Yeah. You know, so you're hitching your team to a dead horse for the next 15 years. It's yeah, crazy. You basically have to wait out those two contracts ending. Yeah. And Strasburg's won't be ending for four more years. Yeah. And Corbin, what, has probably two more, two or three He's more two, years. I left, believe right? two years left. I think this is year four. So let me ask you a question to round this one off. What are some teams that you're thinking – I mean, for my answers, everyone's going to think that I'm just like, oh, wow, he just picked the the big hitters, but I have reasons for it. So give me three teams that you think are in play for Juan Soto at the deadline. Well, I think it's important to say he might not be traded at the deadline because they got two more seasons left of him. But he's in play. But he's in play. He's in play. But I don't know if a team is willing to give up that much. Uh, for the early. sake of the, the podcast. The Dodgers were last year, for Scherzer <laughs> and Turner. So, you know, you never know. But the, but the Nationals can – the Nationals had to trade Scherzer last year. For yeah. Soto, I think they can sit tight if they felt like they had to and take four months to scour the market 
in mm-hmm. in the offseason and just see what it brings. Uh, but if and when he gets traded, you need a team that has a willingness or at least a little bit of an ability to sign him long-term. You don't have to have that. But ideally, if you're going to give up that much, you want to sign him long-term. Uh, and you got to have a loaded minor league system that you yeah. can trade off pieces from and still not feel like you're derailing your entire organization. Who can do that? Obviously, the Dodgers can do that. We know that. The Dodgers can can do that, and then they can do it again. That's how talented they are Yeah. Uh, in the minor leagues. That's that's how much money they have. It's just the truth. And the Dodgers don't sign everybody. Like, they didn't. They let Seager go. Uh, they let Manny Machado go. Manny Machado spent the whole offseason looking for deals, and they never even tried to re-sign him. So they don't. They didn't try for Scherzer either. And I wonder if they're going to re-sign Trey Turner. Uh, so I don't think I, so. So we won't pretend that they give that they have uh, exorbitant amounts of money to give to everybody. But if they wanted to put all their money in somebody, Soto's the guy to do it. Um, one team that I saw talked about is the Padres. Mm. And that's a very interesting one. Another team, have, another team loaded with talent, right? And they don't have a, a boatload of money locked up in guys. You know, I know they have, I know they have thirty million a year in Machado. I know they're going to have to pay Tatis at some point down the line. Uh, but you know, they're going to lose that U Darvish contract that he signed with the Cubs. Uh, they're only paying Blake Snell ten million a year, and to be honest, they'll probably be able to trade. I might be too much pitch. anyway. Yeah, well, they'll probably be able to trade that and find somebody who thinks they can do a reclamation project. I bet. Um, they're not paying Sean Manaya that much. You know, this is a team that uh, can afford to probably give out one mega contract. So can they do that for Juan Soto? I think they can. Do they have the minor league talent to, to get a guy like that? I'm a, I'm a little more hesitant about that. They may have to throw in some major league guys. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I don't know if that's what the Nationals are looking for. All right. Let me give you. Yeah. So I have three teams. Give me one. Give I have me three, three teams here. But I have scenario. You're literally going to think I'm. You're going to be like, "Who the hell did I start a podcast with?" I'm t- after after you hear these things. So I'll get the two easy ones out of the way first. So everyone and their mother is saying the Mets because obviously the Mets have a ton of talent and they have endless amounts of cash. So you know you could give up as much as you want for Juan Soto and you could pay him as much as you want. So right then and there, I feel like that is probably either the easiest answer or one of the easiest answers. So we'll get that one right out of the way quick. Number two for me, I'm thinking the LA angels. And the reason why is because Art Moreno is a horrible owner. He loves to throw a lot of money at players just in general. You know, you think of Anthony Rendon and then you think of Josh Hamilton, you think of Albert Pujols. He just wants names, but they also do have some pretty decent talent, not pitching wise, which might throw the, the, the nationals off but in terms of position players they have a lot of talented guys coming up and like i said they could give him probably as much money as they want even though that they have all that money wrapped up in mike trout they could probably still give them as much as they as much as he wants then three is the yankees now this one's a little bit in depth and you're probably not going to like this as a yankee fan i don't like this as a yankee fan but this is kind of my way of thinking for the new yankee regime with hal steinbrenner at at, at, at the helm so, because if it was George still, we would, Juan Soto would already be in a Yankee uniform. Aaron <laughs> Judge would already be re-signed for like yeah. 25 years. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, he would just throw whatever he wanted at it. So hear me out. Just hear me out. The Yankees are, first off, they're going to let Joey Gallo walk because Joey Gallo sucks. I think we could all both agree on that. If, if he even makes it to the deadline. Yeah. Joey I Gallo wonder. sucks. So if he makes it, he's gone. Um. What I'm thinking is (laughs) 
with Juan Soto in play, for me, it seems more unlikely that Aaron Judge is re-signed. And I don't like that, but just hear me out for a second. So you got Juan Soto. You sign him to a mega extension. He'd probably want to stay in New York for probably 10 to 12 years, I'd say, right? Mm-hmm. So you get Juan Soto to play left, I guess. You still have John Carlos Stanton under contract. Then you have Austin Wells coming up through the system if he's not traded. And now he's your other outfielder as well. So now you just have a you have a brand new outfield without Aaron Judge because am I the only one that thinks this is a separate conversation? But you could just give me a quick answer now. Why is Aaron Judge still not signed to a long term contract extension? Well, it doesn't sound like they've negotiated in season. It sounds like they've kind of stuck to their plan. The Aaron Judge's team is stuck to. His I don't plan like it. Of not, of not I don't like it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's. Listen, he can, he can talk about how you know it's not a distraction you know how not negotiating during the season prevents distraction but I think we can all agree it's still it's still a conversation right it's still kind of a distraction and he's hitting well through it anyway so but it does feel like with the Yankees um you know take your emotions out of it who would you rather have for the next 10 years Aaron Judge or Juan Soto Juan Soto obviously Juan Soto I mean the age difference enough you know one's 30 one's 23 uh so if 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 Brian Cashman feeling creative about this, that I mean, that may be one way he wants to go. And can you imagine? Can you like? Because it's all obviously not going to happen in the same day. So could you imagine like Aaron Judge walking away, and then everyone's like, "Yeah, you better re- you better sign or trade for Juan Soto." You know what I mean? Like yeah. something like that. Like I can well, picture it, the Yankee fan base just up in arms. Like it's uh, it's like a it's like a much larger scale replacing Freddie Freeman with Matt Olson. Yeah. Now, that well, wasn't, I mean, the, way, that was that wasn't pretty, the way it played out. You know, that Freddie Freeman left and they had no answers. It was that it didn't look like he'd come back. And so they traded for Olson and then Freeman left. But it's very similar, you know, trying to replace uh, a, a franchise fan favorite icon uh, with somebody who might be younger and cheaper, you know, well, yeah. in Soto's case, not cheaper. And really Olson wasn't that much cheaper either per year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, replacing him with somebody who's younger and may have longer production. Uh, but one one team before I wrap this up that I want to mention that you brought up, I don't think the Angels can pay Otani and Soto. I think we're I think they'd also be faced with a one or the other type of deal. You think so? Because I honestly think that, I mean, from what we've seen, because if you think about it, I mean, this is different because Mike Trout wasn't under this massive contract at the time, but they paid Josh Hamilton and Albert Pujols at the same time. Yeah, but they've got Rendon under contract with Trout, and God, Rendon's God, making thirty million a year, and you can't get out of that for another. What a horrible! Years. What a horrible contract! And then Otani is—I mean, Otani's going to need to get paid. Like his his the bills come and do here. I think at the end of twenty twenty three, he either he either he needs to get paid or or they need to let him go because yeah. they. I, I just don't think you can possibly have a way that you're paying Trout, Rendon, Otani, and Soto. Um, I part of me wonders if you can pay all three, but I, I, I think they'll find a way with Otani. But I, I just I don't think you can do one or the other. And then if you if you're uh, I think you have to do one or the other. Uh, and if you're stuck with Soto and Trout, but you've let Otani walk, you know where are you as a franchise? Are you? Yeah. Ready? Well, they are a mess, Dan. So yeah. So <laughs> so so if you replace Otani, who's ridiculously valuable, with Juan Soto, you might still be a mess with two great outfielders. You know, two generational outfielders. And all of a sudden, you're still 77 and 85. That's that's why I feel like I'm a little, even though they do throw money at the ball and just sees what sticks, I'm a little worried about 
No, you could say okay. it. You could say if it, Dan. They throw shit at the wall and see yeah, what well, it I, I, If I were them, I'd be worried about uh, about adding Soto and, and it not working again. Yeah, I feel like you you almost have to go a different route this time. It's It almost seems so crazy. That's the reason why I brought it up, because it certainly seems like something that could happen. Yeah, I mean, listen, Artie Moreno is sometimes uh, sometimes he's out of his mind. I mean, he paid Syndergaard $20 million this year for <laughs> after he threw an inning the last two years. So, yeah, you never and know, he also he, used all 20 of their draft picks on pitchers, too. Well, to be honest, I don't blame them for that with how bad. Yeah, I don't blame them for that either. But, but with, with how with how with how much money they've tied into those two guys paying Otani and Soto just I, I feel like even that is un, is not doable <laughs> we're gonna see we're gonna see the Angels be 77 and 85 with a 500 million dollar payroll <laughs> and, and four perennial all-stars well really three because Rendon is not that anymore but four guys over 30 million you know three they're gonna have an MVP every year with uh, Otani and Trout and, and yeah. Soto uh, and they're gonna have 77 wins oh how horrible so but the, Speaking of, yeah. Speaking of Juan Soto, so obviously this week, All Star festivities. The only one that I really pay attention to, besides for the celebrity all softball game, because I think that's hilarious, is the home run derby. So I know we wanted to talk a little bit about that. I have the bracket right here in front of me. So for those of you guys who don't know, it's it's seated, and the first problem I have with it is that. Pete Alonso is not the first overall seed. But, yeah, because they do it by by home run total. Yeah, which is crazy. But it but anyway, so the way that it works is round one is going to be Kyle Schwarber versus Albert Pujols. Then you have Juan Soto versus Jose Ramirez, Julio Rodriguez versus Corey Seager, and then you have Pete Alonso versus Ronald Acuna. So that's your eight participants right there. Obviously, it goes into bracket style. Um, who do you like? In well, maybe we can go matchup by matchup. Because the first one is pretty easy, in my opinion. You yeah, got Kyle Schwarber versus Albert Pujols. This is just really I, – I love I, – I usually hate what the MLB does when it comes to honoring, like, legendary players. But what they're doing for Albert Pujols this this week, I'm, I'm a big fan of. I like the fact that he's able to be in the home run derby. I like the fact that even though he's not an all-star, he will be in the all-star game. He'll get his curtain call. I appreciate that. But, I mean, Schwarber versus Pujols, this is – very, very one-sided. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's no contest. And, and Schwarber's done this before too. He he almost won in 2018 over Bryce Harper. You know, maybe maybe if it was not in Nationals Park, uh, he would have had a better chance because Harper seemed to kind of ride the crowd to that win. But Schwarber performed at this level. He's yeah. got 29 home runs. He's got 18 since the start of June. Um, contact what is it with him in June that he I just no always idea. like? He, his if you look at the numbers, his OPS in June, like in his career, is up there with the Barry Bonds of the world. Like it it literally is like top 10 in the history of baseball in the (laughs) month of June. It's absolutely insane. And last year he got hurt in July, right? Right. The start of July this year, he's kind of carried into July, not so much the, the all around hitting, but the power, you know, contact isn't his strong suit, but you don't need. That's right. The home run derby. Yeah. It's the home run (laughs) derby. So I know, I know it's time now, Um, but you know, he's not like he's going to be swinging through balls. Like he, that just doesn't happen in the home run derby. So yeah. I, I think he's got probably as good of a shot as anybody. So, uh, but yeah, hit, we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll get to that though. It, it's going to be him over Pujols. I think we can all agree. On all that. right. So we can both agree that Schwarber is going to go over Pujols. So the next one that we have up is Juan Soto versus Jose Ramirez. And the first thing I want to say about this, and this is definitely an intriguing matchup. Mm-hmm. The one thing I don't like about this is that 
Jose Ramirez is a guy, and maybe you don't know what I'm going to mean by saying this. Jose Ramirez is a guy that hits a lot of home runs, but he's not a home run hitter. Yeah. No, 100%. Actually, I looked at, um, for something separate, I was looking at the average home run distance of the eight guys in here. And we're going to get into this because I have a point to make about somebody else. Jose Ramirez is dead last. Yeah. Uh, among all, all eight at 308, 388 feet. He's actually the only one below 400 feet. Uh, average home run distance. And he actually just had a, a, almost a full month where he didn't hit a home run. It was something like three weeks or maybe more. Uh, and now he's, he's hit three, I think in the past seven or eight days. So he, mm-hmm. you know, the stroke is starting to come back, but he, he is not really a power hitter. So I don't, yeah. I don't, I, has he done the home run derby before? I don't think so. No, he hasn't. I don't, so. I don't think his bat would play very well in this no. setting. He seems like a type of guy that, would hit home runs in the home run derby the opposite way. Yeah, yeah. Which, <laughs> as, as, you know, which is nice, but it's not going to win you. It's not going to win you the derby. Yeah, that's why. I mean, I think this one is pretty pretty clear as well. Juan Soto was a guy who's been in the home run derby before. He knows how to play it. I think Soto is going to advance past Ramirez. I think so. Yeah. Then you got this one's pretty interesting. Honestly, you got Corey Seager and Julio Rodriguez. I'm excited about that one. I'm excited about that, and and I'll tell you why. There's always one guy. That's the newcomer that always plays so well in the home run yeah. derby. And I, I feel like I, I mean, Rodriguez is ranked sixth and Seeger's ranked third to me. Honestly, I think it's going to be Julio Rodriguez. And I feel like it's because he's that new guy and he's that elect that electricity. I, I like Julio Rodriguez over Corey Seeger. And I, I mean, I'm not really in terms of these picks because it's such an, it, it's such a, a feel event. Like you could have, you could have guys like Pete Alonso who's won it two two times and he just hasn't have he doesn't have the feel that day. You know what I mean? And he yeah. and he loses do in the first remember, round. Do you remember Robinson Cano coming out the year after he won it? He hit yeah. zero. Yeah. There's a so, different format, but he hit zero in, in the in the first round. None. Yeah. So and I'm looking know, at this and I'm just thinking like Julio Rodriguez is not a guy that stands out to me as a that hits a, a ton of home runs, but I feel like he's got that feel. And he's just going to go for it. And I think that, honestly, Rodriguez will go over Corey Seager. Like I said, I can't really go too far in depth with these because there's really nothing to go in depth on. But I just think that Rodriguez is going to be that newcomer that shocks a lot of people and and winds up maybe even taking the next round all the way to the end. Yeah, I mean, J-Rod is – he's bringing a type of energy to the Mariners that we haven't seen since Ken Griffey Jr., and Kenny Griffey Jr. made his name a lot of times in the home run derby. Yeah. So I think I think there's that potential uh, on Monday uh, this week for for Rodriguez to do something similar to Kenny Griffey Jr. and kind of light up the derby, you know, bring that swagger back to the Mariners uniform. Um, he's also been, you know, he's got he doesn't have as many home runs as Seager, but he didn't hit a home run in the month of April. He's mm-hmm. in all 16 since May. He's got eight yeah. in his last like 23 or 24 games. He's been a home run hitter. Since May, it just took him a little bit to figure out major league pitching, and now he's getting glorified batting practice. Uh, you know, so there's the potential for him to light it up. I think it's going to be really exciting. He, he's he's who I'm looking forward to watching the most. Yeah, absolutely. But Corey Seager, he has been unbelievable lately, especially yeah. from a power perspective. He's got 22 home runs this season. He's got I think seven of them in like his last 11 games or something. He's been unbelievable. Yeah, he's been unbelievable, and he's going to be playing in his home sta- his former home stadium. Mm-hmm. Dodger Stadium. So I would say don't rule out Seeger immediately because he has been ridiculous lately. And I 
you know, you can question how much like recent performance has to do with it. But if you look at past years, it seems like it's had something to do with it, especially in terms of home runs. Maybe not, maybe not like all around contact, but guys who hit home runs leading into the Derby tend to do well. So I wonder if Corey Seager is going to come out and surprise us all. But yeah, I, I like J Rod in that one. I, I like J Rod like in that him. one too. So the next one, I, I I've just said it until he loses. I'm just riding with Pete Alonso because he's just the type of guy that is just built for the home run derby. He's like just this, yeah, like ball of power that if you look at his physique is just not impressive at all. But he just knows how to hit a baseball 450 plus feet, and I mean I love Ronald Acuna. I, I'm I'm just going with Pete Alonso. <laughs> yeah, he, he, looked, he looked unstoppable last year, and part of the Dave Joust, who threw him, he was his, a home run derby pitcher, was excellent last year too. I mean, the, everything was placed perfectly, and he's back uh, throwing to him again this year. It's really hard to bet against uh, somebody who's proven they can do this two two times in a row. But uh, this is the point I wanted to make before: average home run distance this year, number two out of out of this field is Kyle Schwarber at 413. Mm-hmm. Number one is Acuna at 437 feet. He's only hit eight of them. He's only hit eight in 58 games. You know, he's still rounding back into form after the torn ACL. But he he when he hits them, he hits them far. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I, I wonder if that's going to play in the home run derby. Uh, I also looked at barrel percentage, how many of his – how many of his plate appearances result in a barrel? Which is like I've never 98. seen someone go so far in depth for a home I, run I, derby. I, I'm, I'm very fascinated by this. So he um, it, a barrel is like 98 miles an hour, and it's something. It's some kind of launch angle. I don't know the exact launch angle, and his is right up there with Pete Alonso. Schwarber is way ahead of the field uh, in that category, but it's right up there with Pete Alonso and Julio Rodriguez. So Acuna is a big sleeper, I think. Um, the only the only downside is just facing Pete Alonso in the first round. Yeah. So either either we're gonna get a big upset or he's gonna I could see him performing really well and getting knocked out in the first round anyway, which we've seen every year. Somebody that happens to somebody in the first round. Yeah. But now who who is your since you go very, very far in depth on this, I wanna see who your winner is and I wanna see why. Because I'm just, I've already said it and I'll say it again. My winner is going to be Pete Alonso and I'm just going to ride with Alonso until he loses the home run derby. Because I'm convinced that if he puts on a similar performance like last year, he could win five straight, no problem. Like, yeah, which this is a a conversation for a different day, but I think that would benefit the home run derby so much if there was like a dynasty. Yeah, absolutely. We've already have a mini one with back to back from Alonzo and him defending it again. But if he won, Mm -hmm. if he rattled off like three or four titles in a row, I think it's going to get a lot of people to watch. I think it's it's a really cool thing for the whole event. Um, Who do I think is going to win? Listen, I'm I'm kind of with you on Alonzo, but I think I think it might be the winner of that matchup between Alonzo and Acuna. I think Acuna's swing is going to play really well. I, I love Schwarber. You know, listen, Schwarber is, a, is such a power hitter. He's, he's, he's come close a couple times. Well, no, I'm thinking of Jock Peterson. No, but in 2018, he was he was one away. Uh, he, yeah. He performed really well in the final round, I think. Uh, and then, you know, Bryce Harper went last at home, and he kind of carried the crowd. Um, but I, I think if I had to bet, I know this is kind of a cop-out answer. I think the winner is the winner of Alonzo and Acuna. Okay. Okay. So, 
you know, listen, I'll go with Alonzo. I, 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 after watching him last year and how, how smooth his swing is, like how, how built for this he is, how comfortable he is. It's, I, I don't think I can like in good faith bet against him, mm-hmm. but if anybody's going to beat him, I think Acuna's got a shot, and I think right. the winner turns out to be the winner of that. All right. Okay. I like that answer. Honestly, that's that's a nice safe answer you played there, Dan. Yeah, it's half like safe. That. You know, if Schwarber wins, then I'm wrong. Like, yeah. So <laughs> there's that, but but I, I think the winner comes out of that matchup. I, I, the next thing I want to say is. I guess if you're not really a Major League Baseball fan, I guess we have to apologize for this episode because it's predominantly baseball because it's really the only thing that's going on right now. So the next thing that we have on our topic list is I didn't really understand what you meant by this. So that's why I'm going to let you kind of lead this. But (laughs) it says on our list, all it says is Shohei Otani deniers. So I kind of want you to explain what that is and then we'll get into it. Yes, I have been increasingly frustrated by the amount of people. Get angry, Dan. Get angry. Yeah, I want to hear you. By angry the about. amount of people who are trying to pretend that what Shohei Otani is doing isn't ridiculously amazing. Because I posted this week um, the, the usual MLB award ladder that I do, and I moved Otani to the front of the AL MVP race. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Which for is good reason. justifiable. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, you know, this year he's a pitcher. He's a, a Cy Young contender who's hitting well. Not exceptionally well, but a Cy Young contender who's hitting well. Last year he was uh, a, an excellent hitter who was pitching really well. And that won him MVP. I think this year, you know, even though they're flipped, he's still extremely valuable. It's no different. The value adds up to the same. Uh, and yet I have people in the comments who are not only saying that Aaron Judge should be ahead of Otani, but are almost like criticizing the idea that Otani should be in the MVP conversation as primarily a pitcher. You know, what, what, I'm, what I dislike the most is people who are like, oh, well, just because he hits and pitches, that means every year he does both, we're going to give him MVP. No. You, we have, me- you know, this isn't 1915. We have metrics that show us how valuable of a hitter he is and how valuable of a pitcher he is. This isn't 1915. And when you add them up, he is the most valuable player in baseball for now. I'm not saying Judge can't win it because I had Judge in front last week, mm-hmm. and the week before this, uh, for good reason. I don't. I'm not saying Otani has to win MVP, but it's this. This people have this false idea that like, oh, we're going to give him MVP every time he hits and pitches. No, he he just happens to pitch extremely well, and he also is an above average hitter. And I think yeah. we have to reward that. Like, we can't just pretend that this is something that. Uh, that we're going to see every year from different players. It's only him who can do this. Yeah. And it adds an element of value that other guys just don't have. You know, it doesn't mean that he's going to be the MVP every year he does it. He's going to be the MVP every year that he does both really well. And right now, he's doing both really well. He's doing one incredibly well, and he's doing the other above average. And this year, that's the MVP. Now, I know you have a response. And while you do that, I'm going to search for some of these comments so people don't think I'm crazy. So it's not just me making this up. These are real people out there. Yeah. I mean, contrary to what I'll, – I'll take you a step further. And I actually did a video last year on my YouTube channel. And it literally was – last year it was, is Shohei Otani's 2021 season the best season that we've ever seen for any player? Because if you think about it, the man was hitting home run left and right, and he was pitching very well. And it got a lot, I don't want to say it got a lot of negative feedback, but there was a lot of people like, oh, it's ridiculous. You know, Babe Ruth 
uh, did this and that. And I said, okay. So I took that and I made another video and I compared Babe Ruth's seasons to what Shohei Otani was doing last year. And this was like, I think it was just after the season ended. And every single season was not comparable. It was Shohei Otani over George Herman Ruth every single time. And people hated that. They were like, how? And and then right away they flipped it. It was like, well, how could you compare? The game is so different now. I'm like, you guys were just the same people that just told me last week that Babe Ruth was the end all be all. And now I'm showing you that war, whip, statistically, everything is Shohei Otani and even hitting in some seasons. Because what I did, the way that I compared it was I compared. I took the best overall season from Babe Ruth because I don't want to take a season where he hit 59 home runs, but he was two and four with an eight ERA. So I took, I think his best season combined was, I think he was like, like 14 and three with like a two something ERA and he hit 39 home runs and 111 RBIs. That was like the best overall season. And it wasn't even comparable. And then there's just people getting so mad. I don't understand what, what fetish people have with history, but history is made is meant to be broken. We are seeing history being broken every time that Shohei Otani goes out there. I don't get what people have that history cannot be broken in today's day and age because if you I'm very confident in saying that if you put Babe Ruth in today's baseball, he is nowhere near the player that he was back then. Yeah. And Shohei Otani is doing it in a day and age where you have guys throwing 100 plus miles per hour and then throwing 79 mile per hour curveballs at you. You know, he's hitting well and he's pitching lights out. Even last year when it was the opposite, he was still pitching very well and he was hitting off the chart. So, what is that amazing that he can do both of those? I don't understand what the, the, see, like now now you got me fired up, Dan. (laughs) Like, (laughs) that's the goal. It works. But it's really, it's these people that commented that have you fired up because I'm channeling them right now. So, one of my favorites was was deleted, and I I think it was deleted. I can't find it anywhere. Uh, I, so I hope I can, maybe I can pull that up, try to dig it out. But a couple of them that I found were like, uh, you know, somebody said that Otani was overrated. Okay, so someone what? was like, "Do you want? Do you watch baseball?" And this person said, "Yeah, I watch baseball." Will Otani carry the Angels through the playoffs? Nope. Oh, here will we they go. Even make the, the playoffs. Oh they will God. probably fall apart the at playoffs. the end of the season as usual. Which this person clearly doesn't follow baseball because the Angels already <laughs> fell apart. Like they, he's saying they're going to fall apart. They already fell apart. Uh, there's, there's more of that. There's more of this. Um, how many times has somebody said, how many times has judge won a game for the Yankees who are the best team in MLB for a reason, a guy having a great season for a losing team shouldn't get the MVP because how can you be the most valuable player to your team while also having a top 10 player all time? And your team is a bottom feeder. So what, so what are these people trying to say that he's not valuable? Like, does this mean no good team, no bad team can have a valuable player? It, It doesn't make any sense at all to me. That, no that, that argument never made sense to me. It never made sense to me from the time that I was like seven years old until now. Yeah. Why is it that a guy, what is it his problem that no one else is performing? You know what I mean? Like, why are we, what can why he are we, do why are we blaming that? him? That's what I'm saying. It's like, oh, Shohei Otani hits 50 home runs and then pitches to a three ERA. It's like, when have you ever seen that done in modern baseball? How can that not be rewarded? Listen, if he, I would not have a problem if this didn't become the norm. Like, because I feel like now we're looking at prospects more of like a, um, you know, 
that can pitch and can hit. Mm-hmm. Which, until this is done at the level that he's doing it consistently, he is one of one. And I think that if he continues to pitch and hit at a high level every single year, personally, I would have no problem with him winning the MVP every single year because he is doing something that legitimately no one else in Major League Baseball can do. That, to me, is the most valuable player. Yeah, I I look at those comments and I say, why is it his fault that his shortstop is hitting 171? Why is it when, you know, and when Michael Lorenzen comes out for the Angels and gives up eight runs in three innings, why do we put that on Otani? I I found this stat, and it was a few days ago, and I screenshotted it for this exact reason. Uh, as of as of a couple days ago, because actually it's it, no, it is worse now because they haven't won ever since I screenshotted this. So I'm going to update the stat in real time. The last, uh, th- I guess this would be 39 games when Otani pitches. The Angels are six and zero. When Otani doesn't pitch, they're six and twenty-seven. Oh my god, six and twenty-seven versus six and zero. I know he hits too. There's somebody <laughs> out so there listening. Somebody listening to this is going to say, "Well, if he if he hits so well, why are they six and twenty-seven? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah, well, he can't go six for six with five home runs and a no, double every single I mean, game. That is unbelievable. <laughs> that 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 stat. When I saw that, it said six and twenty-five at the time, and then they got trounced by the Dodgers two days in a row. That they are that bad when he doesn't pitch. It's. It's, and we can't blame like, him for that. Why are we going to blame him for that? That's, that's insane. what I'm saying. Like, it, like I said, he's one of one. If anyone in the in major league in major league baseball is one of one, they should be winning an award. And here's the thing: if if he turns out not to be one and one, one and one, you know, let's say guys like really follow in his path, and it creates like a whole line of two way players in the future. Then he's then he's just created a generational his legacy as if yeah. he's one of one. You know, if he. Yeah. If he stays this way and it's only him for so long who can do this at a high level, that's a, a huge credit to him. If if he starts a trend, that's even more to him. Like, you know, just like Curry, we talked about Curry. Not only is he an all-time player, he's transcend he can transcend the game. You know, yeah. just like all the guys who followed in Curry's footsteps. What if they do that with Otani? Dude, think about it like this. There's no one in the National League that can do this. So that right away, he's not only one of one in his league, he's one of one in the entire MLB. Right. And another thing, too, they literally changed for, I think it was last year's MLB, the show. They changed an archetype where you could pitch and hit in Road to the Show. Like, I know that has nothing to do with anything. No, it's But they changed an entire video game based off of one player. And you know how many many people played that archetype, too? Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're you're not only transcending the game, you're you're transcending things that are that only have to do with baseball. Like MLB The Show is a video game and you're changing a video game as well. Like I don't really think people understand the magnitude of how difficult it is to even do this in the major leagues. Like who was the pitcher for the Rays last year? Brendan McKay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brendan yeah. McKay pitches and hits, so they say. But Brendan McKay was pitching well and he was hitting 140. That's not what... Yeah, he's doing it at the highest level, but Jacob he's not DeGrom doing it. That. But he's not doing it well. Yeah, Joe Otani is giving you at at bottom. What is he giving you? Two fifty. Yeah, and he's giving you elite power, and then he's also going out there and pitching lights out. So I don't think people really understand the magnitude of what Shohei Otani has been able to do. Not only for like he's not a one season wonder either. This is what we're going on the third season where he's actually like doing both at a high level 
Yeah, and, and people better appreciate it now because this, you know, there's he's he's young, but there's no guarantee this is going to last just because bodies don't hold up yeah. like that. So they, they mm-hmm. better appreciate what we're seeing now. And if we only get two years of this, it's amazing. Like, I don't I don't care if he gets hurt next year and can only do one thing for the rest of his career. It, it's amazing that he did this for, you know, two seasons in a row. I got one more comment from from my comment section. Um, it, it's basically what I said before, and it's somebody said, I get Otani can pitch and hit. I do. But at this point, all he has to do is be above average at both at both. Everyone's going to try to pencil him in for MVP year after year. And it's just all right, so he doesn't understand having better hitting seasons than him. Yeah. It so does he doesn't understand that. that he pitches and hits. Yeah, it, it does suck for them. Vladimir Guerrero had the best offensive season last year, but guess what? It's not MVP is not best hitter. It's not. Yeah. That's not how it works. It's the most valuable player. Otani is the most valuable player. And Can, I'll give you this. If he if his average drops to 230 and his ERA goes up to three or something, he's not going to win MVP. Like he's not yeah. going to be MVP just just for showing up. I said yeah. this before, but it's worth saying again. He's got to earn it. And that's why he wasn't at the front of my MVP ladder until this past week because Judge was that valuable. You know what I'm but thinking of right now? Risen, and if he falls, he's going to drop off the the MVP leaderboard. And if he keeps playing this way, he's going to stay there. It's that simple. You know what I'm thinking of right now? What would be hilarious? Especially since we've talked about this for two weeks running. So episode one and two, we've talked about a pitcher in some way, shape, or form in an MVP conversation. Can you imagine if at the end of the year, Sandy Alcantara wins NL MVP and then Shohei Otani wins AL MVP? People would people, people would lose be their minds. belligerent about that. <laughs> <laughs> like they would be so upset. And I think it's so funny. And I love the fact that like we have a season where I mean Shohei Otani is, like I said, one of one. He is pitching and hitting, but he pitches this year better than he's hitting. Can you imagine having two pitchers, predominant pitchers, win MVP? The people would lose their mind. They'd be like, then why do we have Cy Young? Oh, what are, you know, what are, what do we have this award for? Oh man, I would love to see that. I, I honestly I think give, I want them both to win just to see what people would say. I'd, I'd give anything to be sitting here in November talking about that. I think we'd have to open up a fan line and just bring some people in. I think we'd have to do a live show. I think we'd have to do a live show. About I, I, I would have to. Be. I would have to because because I'm gonna I'm gonna start looking insane if I you know sit here you like yelling at Instagram comments from five days ago. Like we're <laughs> I'm gonna need people in real time to get upset with. Otherwise, yeah, I, I'm I mean, you, look hey, like I belong in institutions. You technically got me fired up, and we're technically live right now between the two of us. So, yeah, so I mean, so if you did it to one person, you could do it to. I'm Italian. I get fired up over everything, but <laughs> you know. But I, I think this is a perfect segue as well. You're talking about Shohei Otani deniers, yeah. so we could we could talk about how Shohei Otani is. I don't think that there's one face of baseball. I'll be I'll be clear with that because I think that we have guys like I, I would say if we're talking about baseball all around. I would say that your four faces of baseball, and you could disagree with me on this. This is just how I'm thinking. The four faces of baseball right now would be Shohei Otani, Mike Trout, Fernando Tatis, and Jacob DeGrom. That would be my four faces of baseball because I feel like you're getting the most electric player when he's healthy in Fernando Tatis. You're getting the best all-around player in Mike Trout. You're getting a guy who pitches and hits at an elite level in Shohei Otani, and then you're getting the best overall pitcher, in my opinion, in Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, I mean, that might sound ideal, but in terms of face of baseball, I don't think you can have that conversation without Aaron Judge. No, I don't think so either, but that's just well, like the way that I'm, I'm thinking. Figure playing at an MVP level in New York, mm-hmm. 
I, I feel like he's got to be in that conversation. All right. So if we expand it to five, then Aaron Judge would obviously be like in there. I'm yeah. just thinking more of like the best at each type of right, like archetype, I guess you would say. But I think there's someone that we have to open this up to. And he's been a human highlight reel since he's come up. And the funny part is, is that he really shouldn't be a shortstop. He's really not hitting that great. But the guy just like just oozes electricity, and that's O'Neill Cruz. So yes. my my question really posed to you was obviously it's early. He's hitting like 220. He's made he made like the most ridiculous error I've ever seen yesterday. <laughs> it was actually really funny. Did you see it? I didn't. So he, it was like a routine ground ball to short, and he literally like took like two pump fakes and whipped it as hard as he could over the first baseman's head. It was great. It was it was tremendous. So like he's got all the tools. So I'm thinking like within the next year or two, if O'Neill Cruz can continue this electricity, he's got to be considered one of those faces. And not only that, it would it would make a dead baseball town liven up again in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just talked about Aaron Judge being larger than life. You know, O'Neill Cruz is a six seven short. He's larger than life, <laughs> but if he belongs there or not, like that's going to grab people's attention from the start. Um, I check baseball savant daily. Usually that's like MLB's basically like their stack cast website. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got everything good on there, you know, exit velocity, all that every single day. I, I mean, literally almost every single day at the very top of the exit velocity leaderboard each day is O'Neill Cruz. And, you know, I look at the numbers and he's still hitting 200, but every single day he's up there in exit velocity. And if you do that, Exit velocity with the bat and the arm. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I mean, well, the arm is otherworldly. But if you can hit with that kind of exit velocity, your average is going to go up. Yeah. Your home run totals are going to go up. It's it's a no-doubter. I think it's only a matter of time uh, before the numbers start looking better for him. But, you know, look, he's up there with guys like Stanton and Judge in terms of exit velocity every day. I know Stanton sets, like, crazy records with, like, you know, he's got, like, the, the 10 hardest hit balls of, of the of the stack cast era like he, he's ridiculous hilarious o'neill cruz is up there at age 23 mm-hmm. in that range with guys like judge and stanton i think if you can hit with that kind of power if you can throw with that kind of power you're almost guaranteed to be a great player i think it's going to take some time for him to put it all together he's only 23 um, I was lucky enough to be at, I was at Nationals Park for that game we talked about. I was about. so he, jealous. That's when I texted you. I was like, wow, you get to see O'Neill Cruz. And it was, was his so first jealous. home run, his first home run of the season. Not it was a laser. Because he hit one in, in October last year. Uh, but his first home run of the season, he's got all the tools. He's just got to put it together. And, you know, part of it is putting a good team around him. Well, uh, that'll I, never happen. If that might but, not. That might never happen. Although they've got some guys coming up because they've got some prospects. Last year's number one pick, Henry Davis, is hitting in the minors. He's a college yeah. bat who's going to rise quickly. Their 2020 first round pick is another college bat who's hitting well, Nick Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know these names yet. You know, not very well. well we do. <laughs> we do, but not everybody listening should know their name. Like I get that they're Pirates prospects, uh, but they're they're high draft picks who are hitting well in the minors, and they're going to come up. And Key Brian Hayes is a guy that I love. Uh, they locked him in for a while, so he's going to be there for a little bit. Poor bastard. Uh, he's, he's just got to wait for the power to come together. But he he gets on base at a really high rate. He's starting to hit for average. He, he plays, plays very defense. very good defense. He's yes. Just got to wait for the power to come to come together. And even if it doesn't, even if he hits 15 home runs a year, he's a guy who's going to be a big piece for them. So I think if you let this Ryan Reynolds, 
Brian Reynolds, if they keep him, that's the only reason why I don't mention him. I don't know if they're going to keep him. But if they let this this core materialize and put a good group around O'Neill Cruz, I think you're going to see it come together. And I'm looking at the numbers now. He's already got a war of close to one. Which is uh, crazy. Point nine in how many games is this? Can't be too many. No. Why won't it tell me how many games? 25 games. Yeah. While hitting 204. Yeah. Because, of you know, he's got the arm. Um, he's, I think part of that is probably that he's been unlucky. I'd have to dive into the numbers to see how unlucky he's been. But the fact that I see that exit velocity like through the roof every day and he's still not getting hits tells me he's probably been pretty unlucky. Um, he's got a 241 base percentage. So the fact that his war is actually pretty solid. Tells I think me the first hit of his season was like 120 miles per hour. Yeah, or I, like I think he's been unlucky as a hitter. I, I might sound like an idiot, but without diving into the numbers, I think he's been unlucky. So you've got a guy who can, like you said, he can kind of light that city on fire. Pittsburgh needs a guy like this. Yeah. You know, Keith Brian Hayes is a, is a fine player. Brian Reynolds is a fine player. They're not going to be the guys who like revive Pittsburgh baseball. If somebody can do it, it's going to be uh, a personality and a talent like O'Neill Cruz. I mean, yeah. like his first his first day back up in the majors, for instance, like when he was running for that triple, yeah, and he's just like smiling the entire time as he's running. See, like that's something that's like hilarious that every baseball fan could appreciate. And another thing too, right away. So now we've seen we've seen this era where I still believe that the MLB dropped the ball when it comes to Mike Trout. I think that they could have marketed him so much better when he was really really young in the first couple of years of his career. You know. It also comes to personality, and I don't want to say that Mike Trout doesn't have a personality, but he's more of the quiet type, but they still could have done a tremendous job in marketing him. Now we're seeing kind of like a a swift kick in the ass with guys that are coming up. So like you think of like Fernando Tatis, you think of Shohei Otani, guys who, especially Tatis, has way more of a personality and swagger than Mike Trout does. So he's kind of really taken over the, the face of the MLB, like you said, Mike Trout, I mean, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge has a fantastic personality. He's larger than life baseball player as well. He He's taken over as well. O'Neill Cruz has a great personality. He's, like we said, 204, errors all the time. But he's there's something about him that's just electric. And yeah. once he puts it all together, I could definitely see him being one of those faces. And it's fantastic for Pittsburgh as well. And not only that, you can kind of tell who the faces of baseball are if you follow the MLB Twitter account, because they won't stop posting about him. It's it's when Fernando Tatis is healthy, it's him, it's Aaron Judge, and now it's O'Neill Cruz, the guys who are like every single day they'll find something to post about because they just want that name there all the time. And I can't blame them. Yeah, and Pittsburgh needs it. Like that yeah. makes that, that makes me happy because you know the Yankees don't necessarily need the attention. Pittsburgh needs the attention. The Pirates need somebody like that. Um, you know, and O'Neill Cruz, even for you know all of his growing pains, he's already somebody who somebody like you or me might want to go to the stadium to see. Like you might buy a ticket to say, "Oh, this is cool. I get to see O'Neill Cruz play." Uh, I, I would. I yet, would. And is the casual fan saying that yet? No. But if we're saying that now, when he's twenty-three. A year or two from now, the casual fan might be saying, I want to go to the stadium and see O'Neill Cruz. People do that already for Aaron Judge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And listen, that I, I did it for Otani. I've been to I've been to two games. I don't mean to keep circling back to Otani, but I would to- fly to LA. No, no, you keep circling <laughs> back to it again. I would fly to LA right now to go see Shohei Otani. I've play. seen him play in person twice. And the you first time bastard. the first time he hit a home run in this first at bat. And the second time he struck out, uh, I think, 11 over seven shutout innings. 
Yankees. The fact that I, I mean, listen, I, a part of it is luck. Like I could have went to a game where he went over four. Yeah. But the fact that I went and saw him twice, the second time was intentional, like knowing Otani was pitching uh, at Fenway. But the fact that I saw him twice and both times he did something really cool speaks to how amazing of a, of a talent he is. And O'Neill Cruz, you know, you might be able to go to a game and see him throw the ball to first base 100 miles an hour, which, which is see, absurd. Or you can see him hit it 114 miles an hour, which you really only might get if you go to Yankee Stadium and see Judge yeah. and Stan right now. I mean, it it's crazy. It's unpre- like, especially the arm talent is unprecedented. Like, I'm. I'm legitimately curious to see, like, I, I kind of want to see the Pittsburgh Pirates getting absolutely blown out one day to the point where they'll put O'Neill Cruz on the mound to see how hard he can. I'm, I'm convinced that he could throw about 107 miles per hour off yeah, the mound. Yeah, why couldn't he? As long as he's got that, that you know, the, the pitching mechanics down, you know, the, I mean, just the, the motion of it, he, he can throw that way. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It, it, like, I, I know I must sound like such a fangirl right now, but being someone who played who played baseball and still plays baseball to this day, where actually I have a baseball game in an hour and a half from recording right now, I have a doubleheader. Like I could appreciate that so much because it's so rare to see something like that. Like you'll occasionally see like a shortstop throw the ball like ninety miles per hour to to you know, but a hundred miles per hour with the type of like torque that he gets on his elbow. It's just it, – it's, like, so picturesque and perfect. It, it, it's unbelievable. And let me close by saying we have proof of that because I when he had that first throw, that real highlight reel throw, uh, it was 96.7 miles an hour. At the time, the hardest throw by any infielder this season. It was an hour after he came back up to the majors <laughs> uh, on June 20th. I posted that video, and the numbers it did was crazy compared to – Tell him, Dan. Tell him. Videos. Tell him how many. This is a Pirates infielder. Like this is a Pirates game and it's doing these kind of numbers. 27, uh, 28,000 likes, uh, 128,000 views for a video. Wow. 209,000 accounts reached. Wow. Uh, 14,000 shares. That is, that is ridiculous for a video. And um, for comparison, let me see if I can find it right here. I, I posted, yeah, Zach Plesak. Um, of the guard, oh, I saw that like, one. Yeah, he had a crazy throw. I mean, listen, it was better than this. It was a crazy throw um, on on June 11th. Mm-hmm. A crazy play to first, uh, especially one that you don't see pitchers make. That was seen. That got eighty six thousand views, fifteen thousand likes compared to twenty eight thousand for the O'Neill Cruz. One hundred and forty five thousand accounts reached compared to two hundred nine. Twenty eight hundred shares compared to, to fourteen thousand. O'Neill Cruz has gotten people's attention. Like he can hit yeah. 200 for a little bit. That's fine. He, that, that play on my account alone got people excited and reached 209,000 people. That's big for baseball. They see the potential there. I bet they see the same analytics that I see from their yeah, account. Absolutely. That's part of the reason why they promote him. Yeah. I, I definitely, yeah, I agree with you there because it's funny that you mentioned that on the opposite end of the spectrum and on YouTube, that's my most viewed video. Yeah, on YouTube is that little eleven second short of O'Neill Cruz throwing the ball two hundred miles per hour over to first base. Like that's, it's just the reach that he has. But I just thought it would be an interesting thing to bring up because I love him. So <laughs> yeah, and it's going to be worth following too. Like through the year, you know, I bet he's going to have a good second half. You almost I, can't I, have that, I'll make, that many tools and have a great and not have. A I'll make a bold half. prediction and say that by the end of this year, he'll make a throw from short to first over hundred miles per hour. <laughs> yeah. Let's see it. Well, we're going to come back to that because I bet 
I think you have a good chance of that happening, and I'm going to keep an eye on that to see if he can do that. Because 96.7 miles an hour, and I don't know if he's topped that. Since. He did, 98 the other day. No, it feels like 100 is coming, right? Yeah, Listen, he's Pirates, only getting warmed up. The Pirates will be 40 games under 500. He'll just empty the tank in September. One of, there we go. One of, the, one of those throws is going to go over 100. <laughs> now, we, I'm going to have a little bit of a rough transition, but I want to get this in because we started with one of the headlines of the week. And I want to finish with one of the headlines of the week, and that's the highlight of NHL free agency and Johnny Gaudreau going to Columbus. Columbus, Ohio, for less money than he would have gotten in Calgary. And I know Calgary is not so much of a destination either, but he took less money to go to Columbus rather than somewhere near his home. But look at the – my father actually brought up a good point about this just before too. He was – because I I was talking about it. I'm like, like the the destinations were just weird. It was like Columbus – Philadelphia, where he's from the Philadelphia, the Philadelphia area. area, New Jersey, Calgary, and the Islanders. And I'm just yeah. like, that's just so strange. Like, those were the front runners. It's just so strange. Like, honestly, I would have been – the only other team I would have been more shocked with him signing with would be the Devils because, like, the Devils are ass. Mm-hmm. So, I, like, <laughs> that is something that I would be yeah. genuinely, like, interested in, in seeing. But it definitely threw me for a curveball when I saw that. I think, uh, you know, part of it is is who has the space to do it. But I, I think what, what caught me off guard is, you know, okay, you're leaving, you're leaving Calgary. Like, I get it. Listen, American player playing up in the middle of nowhere, Canada. No offense to Canada. But I, I understand him leaving. I even understand him leaving for less money. But it looked like he was probably going to end up – I mean, if you asked me a couple of days before he – Sign maybe Philadelphia probably would have been the front runner, and then it turned out yeah. that that day Philadelphia was the one that was eliminated. Basically, that's a total normal thing too, because not only is he from the area, but they didn't really make any moves. Yeah. Besides for that, so you're thinking, well, something big must be coming, and, and nothing and, came of it. Yeah, nothing <laughs> came of that. And then you look at okay, well, the New Jersey and New York are not that far, and the the Islanders are. You know, they still they, – they had a disappointing year, but they were a win away from the Stanley Cup final two years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, they've got some pieces in place. Uh, the Devils would have been an interesting decision, but at least they spend money. Like, they signed Dougie Hamilton last year. You know, the Devils they, are a team that's – They signed Andre Palat this year. Like, they yeah, got – The Devils are a team that's constantly striving to get better, and every year you're like, oh, look, they made this move. They're going to be a playoff team this year, and they're never a playoff team. And they're not, and it makes me so happy. So, so it might have made sense if Johnny Gaudreau went ended up there. Uh, Columbus was was a little bit of a surprising one. You know, they're they're a team that kind of tore it down a little bit after twenty twenty one. They have a they have a a core that I guess now you know they're kind of rebuilding. But I guess when you sign Johnny Gaudreau, your plan is to, is to instantly leap into playoff contention. This kind of reminds me of. To a, a, a smaller extent, it kind of reminds me of the Artemi Panarin signing with the Rangers. Yeah. Because it's like, I didn't really think that the Rangers were like like in play for Panarin. Like I was like super happy about that. But that was kind of like the final piece to making them like a perennial like playoff contender. I wouldn't say Stanley Cup contender every year, but perennial playoff contender every year. And it definitely shows. And he took less money from the Rangers than the Islanders to come here. So that also made me really happy too. But just to see, just to see the Islanders fail in free agency is just, it's just chef's kiss for me. But 
I feel like it's a similar situation here with Columbus where like, I kind of feel like just adding Johnny Goudreau makes them, I don't want to say a perennial playoff contender, but it definitely makes, it definitely puts them in consideration for one of those lower seeds. Yeah. And sometimes in the NHL, that's all you need is to just get in. But uh, the Panarin signing sounds pretty similar. You know, that was a Rangers team that was doing somewhat of a rebuild, you know, definitely reshaping their roster, reshaping the direction of the franchise. And signing Panarin kind of signaled like, hey, we're, you know, it's been a quick rebuild, but we're kind of ready to start coming out of it. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't all materialize in year one. You know, they lost in the qualifying round, uh, you know, the, the fake qualifying round that will never happen again in 2020. Uh, and then 2021, you know, 2021 wasn't what they wanted. And in 2022, mm-hmm. they made the they made the leap. Um, I feel like the, the Blue Jackets are obviously hoping for something, some kind of quicker development than that. Yeah. Uh, but they were a team a year ago that came into the season not expecting to contend at all. They had a new coach. They got rid of Tortorella. Uh, Brad Larson became their head coach to, to coach a, a young developing team. Um, obviously, some pieces are there that aren't you know freshly young, but they weren't expecting to do much. And now, all of a sudden, after a year, they've signaled that, like, look, we... We just gave this guy close to $10 million a year. He had 115 points last year. He's going to be the guy to lead us back into the playoffs. Um, you know, I get the signing for them. Like, if you have a talent oh, yeah. like that and you can pay him under $10 million a year, take it. Do it. Don't care what what, what kind of phase your, your team is in. I'm a little more surprised on his perspective. And I know a lot of people, a lot of other people were, uh, that he would take less money to go to a city like Columbus and not go to Philadelphia or New York or New Jersey. Um, but, you know... I mean, it, 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 I don't really have an explanation for it, but I, I guess it's a good thing for the NHL. I mean, that, that somebody would take – that a talent like him would go to a, such a small market like that in Columbus yeah. and try to revive it. I mean, it was good for him being in Calgary because the Flames were another one of those teams that needed a little bit of a jolt. Of I, I was just going to say, now it's like you kind of swapped one with the other, even though Calgary right. still – probably going to be a playoff team they're not going to be as potent as they were and yeah. then now you think of you think of like columbus now is is in the mix you know to be like a playoff team now so kind of like you said it, it brings a little bit of a revival to a small market team as well and and it's not like we haven't seen big names in columbus before yeah. You know, you think of Rick Nash, obviously. You think Panarin was there for a little while. Cam Atkinson. You know, there's there's good players that played in Columbus. So yeah, Bobrovsky it, was was great for yeah. a long time. So so I'm thinking like, I feel like this is their cycle. I feel like they go through one good player like every th- like three or four years. Even though yeah. Rick Nash was there for a while, but like you know, you go through like a really good player every three or four years. But I think Goudreau is the one that's going to kind of lead them back to what they were a few years ago. Yeah. He's just such a great facilitator with the puck on his stick that he's going to bring that whole roster, anyone who plays in that line with him, he's going to bring that roster up. Kind of like what Panarin has done with the players around him. Like I, I think I could see Goudreau being a guy who's not going to score as many goals, but he's going to have an absolute crap ton of assists. Yeah. Like, like what Panarin did. What did Panarin only score 21 goals? Yeah. But he had like 79 assists. Right. I, I, I mean, it feels fair for the Blue Jackets because, like you said, bringing them back to where they were a few years ago, it felt like they made all the right moves. Like they'd done everything the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it culminated in they finally won a playoff series and not just any playoff series. They took down the 62 win Lightning, you know, this yeah. historic Lightning team. 
And it felt like a reward for a franchise that made a lot of the right moves and a small market team that built themselves the right way. Um, you know, but you lose, you know, you, you have a hard time bringing back Panarin and you can't really replace a guy like that for a while. Uh, so it kind of feels like a little bit of justice that they were able to prevail over some bigger market teams or at least yeah. teams in prominent markets like Philadelphia, like New York, uh, and bring in a guy who really can be uh, one of the faces of the NHL. I mean, he had 115 points last year. He's such a, a fun player to watch uh, on a Flames team that felt like maybe they should have gone a little farther in the playoffs. Maybe oh, should have gotten past Edmonton. Uh, you know, now's his chance to make his mark in a new place. And it's not the place a lot of people expected. I know a lot of East Coast fans are not happy about it because they wanted him on their team. I get that. But it's it's. I think it's probably a positive for the NHL if they want to bring up a small market like Columbus. I agree. I, I, I think that as well. And I think that it's nice to see kind of like, I don't want to say a spreading of the wealth, but like having a big star in middle America, sort of kind of like no, that. Yeah. I think it's a big thing. Yeah. It's an Amer- American star playing in America. Yeah, I feel it's fine. I think I think I saw it's a lot. Of, I saw a lot of Canadian fans upset about that too. Oh, they're absolutely. Like, oh, they're like, oh, Americans just can't can't play in Canada where like they're celebrities, you know? Because I, I guess the premise is like, if you're a, a hockey star in Canada, you can't walk around without being noticed. But in America, you can because hockey isn't as big. Yeah, I, I think there was a little. There's a little salt from some of the Canadian fans. It was a, it hurt their pride a little bit, I think. Uh, but yeah, listen. It, I mean, it makes sense. Like an American, you know, there's an American who wants to play on one of the twenty. What is it? Twenty five American teams. Like okay, yeah. you know, that's gonna happen sometimes. Yeah. Dano. All right, my man. I like that we ended off on that. Yeah, that was a good – look, we got to like give that. something to our hockey fans because we, yeah. we we focused a lot on baseball in this episode. That's, and, a, that's what I said before. I feel like we yeah. should apologize to the to – especially like NFL people that are listening to us. Like we well, haven't even good. mentioned – we mentioned Baker them. Mayfield at the beginning for like three seconds and that was it. But I mean nothing I happened. Them, the NFL content's coming. We, it's coming. I, I'm starting today and as you're listening to this, it will already be up. Uh, top 20 players by position. Oh boy, I'm getting a little. I'm getting a little inside information. Even I didn't know. We're going to start with the with the top twenty safeties. I did this last year. It was a lot of fun. People got very upset, which is always (laughs) not so much for safeties, but more for like you know. I build to it, right? So we're going to start with the the less controversial positions, of course. So we're going to start with safeties, and we're going to do interior offensive linemen tomorrow. Everybody loves you know the big the big heavy white guys on the that play offensive guard and center. Uh, but we're gonna build. We're gonna build toward. You know, we got in uh, another week or week or so. Running backs, receivers, quarterbacks. We're gonna do some fun positions. All right. Let me just say one thing. This is the last thing we're gonna say before we before we end the episode. Is after all the reports that have come out, is Zach Wilson a top <laughs> ten quarterback in the league? Answer me that question now. You have to I'm put him in the top Zach 10. Wilson. What I know is Zach Wilson is my quarterback. There we go. That's my quarterback. <laughs> awesome. All right. Can't say anything else. That has to be the end because that is, that's a perfect thing to end on. Yes. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you're still listening, we really, really appreciate it. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I know Dan hopes that you enjoyed this episode as well. This has been episode two of the ASN podcast. Dan. 
have anything else to say? Well, I'm looking forward to episode three. I think this was a lot of fun. And if you're if you made it this far, please check out uh, the the rankings we're doing on Instagram. I've got by now. I think the safety rankings will be up. By now, probably interior offensive line rankings will be up. Go ahead, debate, engage. You can criticize me, tear me down. I think maybe maybe in a, another week or two, maybe episode four, we'll talk about some of the best comments that we got that I got oh, on, I like on some of those posts because there are always good ones. So listen. Engage with it. We got team power rankings coming up after player power rankings. It's almost football season, so keep the faith. I can't wait to see those heavy white offensive lineman rankings. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode.